I want to share a message today called, I saw it in your face. And it's an ironic time to say I saw it in your face when I can't see <laughs> any of your faces. But we'll press on anyway. Have you ever had to deal with the silent treatment? You know, in its worst form, it's a nasty attempt to manipulate someone's behaviour, yeah? When somebody kind of adopts this posture of, you've hurt me, and so I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to do it by withholding communication from you, and that's supposed to make you feel guilty about your behaviour, and therefore uh, fall down in humility before them and repent. Uh, in its worst form, it's a manipulative thing, However, if the two options are hold your tongue or strike out in rage, sometimes, sometimes quietness is a good idea. Sometimes it's a good thing to step out of the room for a moment and shoot up a quick prayer and say, Lord, help me compose myself because I'm about to say some things that are very, very harmful. Married couples know how this dynamic works, yeah? when they can be kind of tempted to step out and, and say words that are going to really damage the relationship and leave permanent wounds. Same with parents with their kids at times. Sometimes it's best to perhaps just step back for a sec and compose yourself and pray a quick prayer and say, Lord, give me the patience I need to deal with this situation rather than say everything that's on your minds. And even young people know how this works, as they could say things at times that would dishonour their parents. So sometimes it's a good idea, yes, to step away for a moment and take a breath and pray a prayer and gather your thoughts. If what we mean by silent treatment is, is a choice between that or keeping the peace, then sometimes holding your tongue is wise. The Bible affirms that. But that's supposed to be a temporary reaction. Not a permanent one. So ladies, if your husband's been in the kennel for four days, time to let him back in the house. Stop the emotional torment. There's not a temporary fix to just permanently go on in silence. Now it might surprise some of you, but before I took on a pastoral role, I did have a sense of humour. And... And I did do some pretty silly things that when I look back on them now, I think, Jono, what were you thinking? Clearly you weren't. So not things I'm necessarily proud of, but things I did. One of these things was going on a long road trip with a couple of mates, and I think there were three of us, or maybe four, but we were on this long trip that took two or three days to get to the location. And as you do in your 20s, we stopped at one of these fast food places, and uh, we went in for a quick, quick pit stop and toilet stop before getting back on the road again to continue the leg of the journey that we're on. So we stopped at McDonald's or wherever it was, and it was a toilet stop. But you know, we ate and then quick toilet stop before getting back into the car. You get how this rolls. So I've gone to the toilet first, which is kind of down a corridor area, the men's and women's and disabled, and then. Uh, my friend is coming down the corridor as I'm coming out of the toilet. I thought, well, I'll have a bit of fun here. I held the female door open for him. And I thought, well, he'll, he'll notice the emblem before going in and, you know, he'll have a giggle and then he'll go to the right male toilet. Well, he didn't notice the emblem. 
and uh, he waltzed on in and I thought, well, he'll only be in there, you know, 30 seconds and then he'll realise, surely, he's in the wrong place. Well, he didn't come back out. And when he did eventually come back out, he was fuming angry with me. He didn't see the funny side at all. I don't know if there was some kind of aggressive altercation that happened in there where, you know, he was called a pervert or what was going on, but... Whatever the case, he didn't see the funny side and he didn't talk to me for the remainder of the trip. Like it was days before he ever spoke to me again. He gave me the silent treatment and I did feel bad. God is good at the silent treatment, you know. We understand that between our Old Testament and New Testament, there's a 400 year gap of silence. Guys, that's not four days. That's 400 years of quietness from God. God doesn't require speech. He can get along fine in silence. And if you're going to try a staring competition, you'll lose. He'll stare you down every single time. And not being able to hear from God, though, is, is a problematic thing. When we want to walk with God, when we want to take steps and, and, and stay in sync with him, and we can't perceive what he's saying, it's really, really tough. Sometimes it's just like crickets. Lord, are you there? I really want to know what my next step is. And that clarity doesn't seem to come or not easily. And then we have preachers throughout scriptures like, my sheep hear my voice. And it's like, well, right now I'm not. So what do I do with that? The Bible's songbook illustrates this frustration on many occasions of God's sense of distance, of this common human condition that we have of times of dryness. There's all sorts of biblical terms for this, isn't it? The wilderness, the desert. The, they're all saying the same thing. There's times where God just apparently goes silent. And if that's a period in your life that you're feeling you're travelling through right now, you need to know you're in elite company. Biblical writers had this experience. And for preachers to come out and say, well, this is just easy peasy because of these pithy one-liners like, my sheep hear my voice, then we're setting people up for heartache. Sometimes perceiving the direction, the voice, the leading of God is straightforward. Other times it isn't. And here's what we need to understand. God is more than one operating mode. He does. God is neither introvert nor extrovert. He's way beyond those descriptions. He can be loud and he can be quiet. It's up to him. Us mere humans don't get to decide how God presents to us. We try to, don't we? We try and manipulate the situation. We try at least to comprehend, but we don't get to control. We don't get to control how God shows up. Sometimes I feel like it, like, God, you've got till 6 p.m. If, if by then I've heard nothing, then I'm out of here. I'm out of here because this is just too hard. But God doesn't seem to play those sort of games. Sometimes we want God to show up with a bolt of lightning or something. And we rely on the written word of God to provide guidance, absolutely. This is the general, timeless, written Word of God. And we also need to rely on the direction and leading of the Holy Spirit, the Rema Word of God, the, the, the timely whisper from God that we can have in moments where we need guidance. Both provide a spiritual direction. Even peace or lack of it can sometimes be a guiding post. 
But I'm really suspicious of people that just make this sound straightforward. Like they've got God on walkie-talkie. And they just always 100% know exactly what God's thinking. I'm thinking, if only. I doubt that. How can you have that so clear when the biblical writers didn't even have it so clear? And this is why you often hear me say we live life forwards and understand it backwards. We live life forwards and we're, and we're moving forward into this kind of fog. And then there's times where two years on, five years on, we can go, ah. Oh, now I can discern what God was doing in that particular situation. But at the time, it was anything but clear. It was confusing because God has more than one operating mode. He can be loud, but he can be quiet. And he won't always fit with our expectations or even our previous experience. You know, sometimes we can try and package God like, I've found the formula. You wouldn't believe how God spoke to me the other night. And I've got the winning formula. In actuality, God's not after a formula. He's not after a transaction. He's after a relationship. He's after our love. He's after our connection. He's after our hearts. So we need to understand from the outset, God's got more than one operating mode. I have five S's for you to remember this weekend. They're all in your hand. God works through spectacular. God works through subtle. God works through silence. Be careful what you do with that finger. That's why it's facing this way. Because in silence, whoa, it's a hard space, isn't it? Spectacular, subtle, silence. Will I get sour and sulk or will I stay sweet spectacular subtle silence sulk or sweet when I feel disappointed when I feel abandoned will I give the silent treatment to try and get back at him or will I continue to press in you know I don't think there's a sincere person in the world who at some point or another hasn't felt let down by God I have. And I struggle even from the platform in church when we say things like, God will never let you down. Well, yeah, true. But who hasn't felt let down by God? I often have. And I'm not pointing fault at God in that. Oh, clearly my expectations are out of kilter, but it's a profound thing for us humans to engage with an almighty being. And to, to pretend there's no mystery in it or we just always understand 100% of what's going on is folly. We don't. We don't. And it's going to be a journey. We're going to do a flavour of the Apostle Paul's life today through these five S's. And uh, the first thing you, you need to know about this guy is when we bump into him in the first instance... At introduction, he's a terrorist. He's going around slaughtering people. He's known as Saul at this point in time, and he's not someone you want to run into, let me tell you. But this is where we see God work spectacularly, and it's found in Acts chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to open there. Also, all of our notes are in the Version app as per usual. Acts chapter 9, God's movement through the spectacular Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters to the synagogues of Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of the followers of the way, which is what early believers were called, followers of the way. 
Saul wanted to bring them, both men or women. He had a view of equality, this guy. Didn't matter who you were. Men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. You know why? In order to wipe them out. Verse 3 of Acts chapter 9 says, As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, that is the murderous mission, a light from heaven. Spectacular. A light from heaven shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city. You'll be told what you must do. This is Saul's first recorded experience of God. And I'm going to say it's spectacular. It's nothing short of incredible. It's a 10 from me. I mean, Saul, who later becomes Paul, gets struck with blindness. If we read on, it gets even more spectacular because this blindness, literal blindness, he loses his eyesight, endures for three days, and then God supernaturally again sends this guy called Ananias to Saul. And when Ananias arrives, he prays for him, lays hands on him, and his sight is restored. I mean, this is an incredible start to a faith journey. Spectacular. Spectacular. But this is only the beginning of Paul's faith journey, not the end. This isn't the only way God works with Paul. If anything, chronologically, things get turned down a notch. We could say the honeymoon period wears off uh, and God's interaction with Saul gets a little bit more nuanced and it probably will with us too. Often our conversion experience is very spectacular. It had to be, in Saul's case, it had to be confronting. The only way to stop this guy, because he was so aggressive as a terrorist, the only way to stop him was to hit him with a brick wall. And God did. Spectacular is often where faith starts, but not necessarily where faith gets sustained. Things can shift from spectacular to subtle. And seven chapters on in the book of Acts, as we follow the story on, we turn over a few pages, we see Paul's gone from being a new believer in Christ to someone who's spreading the message of Jesus. His faith is well established now. He's a world-class missionary. And we see that Paul and Timothy go from town to town instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders. So the churches were strengthening their faith and grew larger every day. Next, Paul and Silas travelled through the area of, I can't even say this place, P-Town, I'm calling it, and Galatia, because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia, and again the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Notice the word again in that final verse I just read. So twice, twice, God blocks Paul from doing what he wanted to do. What he wanted to do was serve God. He wanted to go into those areas to spread the message of Jesus. And twice, he gets blocked. How did he get blocked? Well, I don't know. But I would suggest if it were spectacular, we would know. We would have been given the detail. We're given the detail about his conversion experience because it's worth mentioning. It's spectacular. But this blocking is probably much more subtle. 
Now this first Facebook post of the Damascus Road experience with the, with the picture, I mean, it had a thousand likes. It was the talk of the town. This Facebook post, sorry guys, prayers appreciated. I was trying to get to Asia and I've been blocked. It's got like 10 responses. Keep your chin up, bro. <laughs> Praying for you. But it's not very popular. No one's really interested in subtle. I mean, blocked, what's that mean? We don't know what it means. Maybe he got a quiet word from the Lord through a trusted friend. Maybe it was far more practical. Maybe it was that he fell sick on the day he was going to leave. Maybe his sandals wore out and he couldn't work any, walk any further. I don't know. I don't know how he got blocked. I just see that he got blocked. We need to be careful about having an appetite for entertainment that we bring into our faith experience. And say, so well, if it's not spectacular, then I'm not interested. Not many people are feeling called to make mow lawns or take rubbish out or vacuum floors. Not many people are feeling called to that. Those things are ordinary. They don't really count, do they? God is into exciting. Well, yeah, he is. God is into signs and wonders, but he's also into faithfulness. He's into us serving him in unseen ways. God had to come out big, loud and aggressive to get Saul's attention. This was an unsaved man. The only way God was going to get his attention was by coming in spectacular ways. But that was the conversion experience. That was the starting point. Once Paul's initiated into a follower, the leadings become more nuanced. And we see now, God isn't as loud. It's more like a whisper. I wonder, does God need to scream to get your attention? Does God need to scream to get your attention? Or can you handle, can you handle subtle? Can you handle subtle? I love the wisdom of Craig Groeschel here. He says, sometimes God provides by what he withholds rather than what he provides. If you grew up around church, you probably grew up hearing, where God guides, God provides. And it's true. There's a truth in that, and it sounds poetic and nice, and it's splendid when it works out that way. But sometimes where God leads is just by you hitting a wall, and there's a block and we find a lot about ourselves, don't we, when we hit one of those blocks. What am I going to do when God blocks a plan? Am I going to throw a temper tantrum? Am I going to act like a little child in Kmart that's not getting a lollipop? How am I going to act when my plans get blocked? How am I going to act when my walk with God goes from amazing to kind of more ordinary, subtle, Maturity is reflected in our faithfulness over the long haul, especially in quiet seasons when things don't go to plan, when things go from spectacular to subtle. And sorry, I have more news for you as this story gets even hotter. But from spectacular to subtle to silence. In terms of Paul's story, I think God gets even quieter and we're up to that third finger and be careful what you do with that finger. 
Our engagement goes from spectacular to subtle to silent. 2 Corinthians 12. Again, further on in Paul's story. Even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now that's confusing. I was given a gift. Fantastic, Paul. What gift did God give you? A messenger from Satan to torment me to keep me from becoming proud. Whoa. I think we need to talk about your theology, Paul. God doesn't give gifts like that. Well, it made it into the inspired word of God, so I think Paul might be right. Three different times I begged the Lord, take it away. I don't like it. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And so I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles. This guy's on another level, isn't he? I take pleasure in my weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ for when I'm weak, then I am strong. Church, I submit to you that's a version of silence. When three separate times Paul goes, God, I need your help. God, I need your help. God, I need your help. And God goes, no, no, and no. You're staying right where you are. How many responses is this Facebook post getting? Zero. Who's responding to this? Uh, hey church, that thing we've been praying about for, for months now, I'm still dealing with it. Please keep me in your prayers. People are like, we don't know what to say to this guy anymore. He just talks about the same thing over and over again. We scroll past that. Got nothing to say. Awkward. We don't have much to say about God's non-responsiveness, do we? We want positive responses. We want breakthroughs. Paul, you must have a secret sin in your life. Maybe not. God answers. He just doesn't always answer the way we want. I remind you of this sentiment about prayer. When the timing is wrong, God says slow. When I am wrong, God says grow. When the request is wrong, God says no. But when the timing and the request and I myself are all in alignment with God, he says go. Go. But John, I didn't sign up for no's. I mean, the concert that I went to where I put up my hand to follow Jesus, the guy up the front said, if I followed Jesus, everything would turn out well from here. I would live a blessed life. What do you mean God says no? And sometimes leaves me in places of suffering. I didn't think that was how this was going to roll. It's not how it started. I was getting breakthroughs back two years ago. What about this? Well, this is where the crisis of faith comes, hey? 
And that's why I say, will you sulk or will you stay sweet? A lot of people just decide it's too hard. If God's not going to play ball, then I'm out. Some of you who know scripture well might be thinking, John, well, your illustration is a bit shonky because Paul did actually get a response. Well, he did. So you might want to debate about the fact of whether it's silence or not. But I had to make a start with S. <laughs> but he didn't get the response he wanted. It's a version of silence, isn't it? And if you, this one isn't doing it for you, then go to the Psalms where you'll find, how long, O oh Lord, will you hide your face forever? Or go to Jesus where on the cross he cries, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This third season, spectacular, subtle silence. It's really, really tough. But I want to also tell you it's really, really normal. <laughs> if you're in that space, don't quit now. Don't quit now. But Jono, why is God so quiet? I mean, I'm an extrovert. I need, I need some action. <laughs> I need him to respond. It's hard, isn't it? And it's made harder when we have... Mr. Goody Two-Shoes pop in and say, well, if you feel disillusioned by God's apparent absence, guess who's moved? If you feel like punching that person in the nose, Graham Carnell gave permission. I checked with him before church. God can move, actually. Read your Bible. He moved away from Hezekiah. He did move. He said he withdrew to test what was in Hezekiah's heart. God does move. God does have more than one mode of operation. God did pull away from his servants at that point in time. And he still tests us, doesn't he? By seasons of quietness. And we get duped into thinking, well, I must have done something wrong. I must have offended him. When actually it could well be the opposite. Maybe it's an invitation to come closer, to come deeper. You know, often the closer the relationship, the greater the refinement in communication forms. Let me nail this down in as plain terms as I can possibly manage. Sometimes the, the depth of quality of relationship, if we can move to the next slide, is shown by, demonstrated by, how quiet I can tolerate it being in the presence of that other person. See, silence can be awkward. I agree, absolutely, it can be awkward. But you know when it's especially awkward? When you've just met somebody, so you have no depth of relationship yet, and like 60 seconds into that conversation, you've run out of things to say. <laughs> then silence is awkward with a capital A. But you know when you know somebody really well, it's not so awkward. You can be in their presence and it can be okay for things to be quiet. It's only when there's a lack of intimacy that silence is really, really awkward. You don't need to fill in all the white space when you're comfortable in somebody's presence. 
I grew up feeling I never had enough time with my dad. And in his final years, when he was retired and did have a little more time, he passed away last year. One of my favourite things to do was go out on the Murray River in country Victoria and fish. But that was really just an excuse to sit. And often we wouldn't say much. Didn't need to. What, you didn't talk at all? Yeah, we talked and we were at peace with one another. But we were safe. We trusted each other. We were familiar. We, we didn't need to fill up every bit of white space because it was going to be awkward. It was fine to have little periods of quietness in between the conversation, no problem at all, because there was intimacy. One of the best known scriptures in all of the Bible is, be still and know that I am God. We know it backwards, we have it everywhere, it's posted on our social media, it's bookmarks in our Bibles, it's fridge magnets. Be still and know that I am God. One of the most recognisable scriptures in the entire Bible. Do we know anything about it, really? Hey, in admission, I, I, I love getting up early in the morning and turning worship on flat out. It's one of the ways I experience God and feel his nearness. Yvonne adores me for it. If that's one of the ways you experience the presence of God and you cultivate your relationship, keep doing it. I'm not trying to take that away from you. I'm just saying there's another side to the same coin. That's how do you go with silence? And how do you go with periods of quietness where it's not all just loud and spectacular? Do you go, well, I'm going to sulk? Or will you stay sweet? Will you stay sweet? Maybe when God appears quiet and you feel that distance come between you and him and you're like, I don't know what's going on. Allow the spirit of God to search your heart and say, Lord, is it me? Is there anything I've done? Is there any offensive way in me? It's what one of the Psalms says, search me, O God, know my heart. Is there anything that I'm not seeing that I need to correct that's, that's caused distance in our relationship with you? But if you get an all clear from heaven, then maybe it's not a discipline. Maybe it's an invitation. Maybe it's an invitation to come closer, son. Come closer, daughter. Come closer. I'll, I want you to see my face. I don't want to have to use my outside voice all the time. I don't want to have to scream. I want to be intimate. I want you to come close. Close enough to see my face. God is not that parent that wants to scream at us every time he's trying to give us a message. He wants us to come close. Close enough to see his face. Close enough to see his smile. Close enough to discern his approval of you.
in Christ. You ready for me to get really pointy? God's inviting us to a level of relationship that's so close that spectacular is no longer the basis of it. That was the entry point. But we get beyond that where we're not relying on that and we see his face. And you know what lifetime friends can do? They can read your face. You can be in a meeting or a situation or a scenario and, and you leave that meeting and you think you held, you hid rather, you hid your feelings really, really well. But you know what your friend will say on the way home? I saw you were frustrated. I saw you were upset. Or I saw you were encouraged. I saw you felt affirmed. I saw you. But I didn't say anything. You didn't need to say anything. I saw it in your face. What an invitation from God in Christ. Say, keep coming close, son. Keep coming close, daughter. Close enough to see my face. Some of you hear this message in a negative lens. If we could bring the camera to just pick up here, please, guys. Some of you have heard this message, and I'll do my best to position it where everybody can see. Maybe I'll go back a little more. If not, I'm sure you'll pick up the idea. Now I've got out of the light. No one at home will be seeing it. So we've said God starts with spectacular. And, but what I'm hearing you say, Jono, is that it was kind of false pretenses that God caught me on because really... It's a downward spiral. And God started with spectacular. He, he won me there. But really, he's taking me down to subtle because he's kind of found a new toy and he doesn't really care about me too much. And eventually, a few years into this faith journey, he'll eventually take me all the way there where he'll pretty much just ignore me altogether. That's what I'm hearing you say, John. There was this spectacular start to my faith journey, but it's going to wear down and eventually it's going to be like God's non-existent almost. Maybe. It's one way of interpreting it. And let's be honest, sometimes that's what it feels like, hey. But imagine if we looked at this through the eyes of faith instead of how it feels. Imagine if we had capacity to flip this and go, no, God's actually doing this with these stations. I started spectacular and I thought that was the high point, but actually that was the training wheels. And as I learned to engage with him more, he could get away with his quiet, his inside voice. And then I kept walking with him and walking with him and walking with him and the intimacy has grown to a level where I can see it in his face. Oh God, take me there where I can see it in your face and I'm not addicted to these signs and wonders, although I want them, but now I want them to flow through me. 
They're not about, I need them in order to maintain a faith in God. No, he doesn't need to prove anything to me anymore. He proved it back here, but that was the training wheels. And I've grown and I've grown and I want to be able to now go, I saw it in your face, Lord. I saw it in your face. You didn't need to be loud. You didn't need to scream. I saw it in your face. I encourage you to bow your head as the music team come and we pray together. Why don't you stand with me? Jesus, we're in awe of you and this invitation you put on our lives to continue to come closer and closer and closer. And for those of people who may be online this morning or maybe here in the room who haven't even started this faith journey, God, we pray for a spectacular revelation of who you are to them. And for those of us who have been walking this journey for a long time, we also are praying for the spectacular, but now, Lord, we're wanting that to come through us because we've walked with you long enough to know it's no longer about us. We're not addicted to signs and wonders. We're not addicted to the spectacular. We want to serve. And if that means being unseen, if that means being quiet, that's fine. If that means you're going to work through us in supernatural ways to others, we want that too. But God, we want to grow. We want to be deeper. Take us from our infant stages, Lord. Help us not build our faith on what you do. Help us build our faith on who you are. Holy Spirit, come and just continue to reveal to us what it means to walk with Jesus. God, we repent of the times we've tried to box you in and say, this is the way you need to work in my life. We bow in surrender to you today. We just say, Lord, have your way. And however you present to us, we'll do our best to worship and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thank you.